Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So today, I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to get there uh, sometime this morning in our message, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So I'm going to start a new series today called For the Love of God. Now, uh, don't get offended by that title because normally when we uh, have been used to hearing this, it, we, we hear it as kind of like an expletive. Uh, almost people use it as, as a, almost like a, a curse word or using God's name in vain. Uh, I don't want us to think about it in those terms. I want to think about it from the uh, sense of for the love of God, everything we do flows out of the love of God. We do this for the love of God. Our life is for the love of God. We love others for the love of God. And so I just want to start by asking you this question. What's the most important indicator of the legitimacy of my faith in Christ? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Love. I, <laughs> I kind of gave it away in the title there, right? But it really is. The most important indicator that I am a legitimate believer is how I love others. It's not how long you've been a Christian. It's not uh, if you serve in the most prominent place in the church. It's not even if you're the leader of, of a local church like this. The most important indicator when Jesus looks at us is how well do we love people. If that's the most important indicator, I wonder what grade, if Jesus gave us grades, I wonder what grade the church would get or Christians might get within these last several years. Of course, we're living in the now, but I mean, if you look at it across, I was watching this documentary the other day about the Crusades, and it's like, dude, the church has missed it so many times. Like we've slaughtered people. You know, we want to we um, um, talk about the Muslims and what they're doing. Well, that's just at this point in history. The Christians were the Muslims of, you know, medieval times. Like they slaughtered. If you didn't, I mean, they basically were doing what, Christ, uh, what, what Paul did to the body of Christ before he became a Christian. And so, you know, we start looking at those things when Jesus said, hey, don't look at the speck in, your other, in, in, in other people's eye when you got a big plank sticking out of yours. The body of Christ is not without its issues. It's not without its bruises and, and scars and, you know, background where we did in the body of Christ some very despicable things. But it, it nevertheless does not uh, indicate that the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, whom we are, is worthy of love, is worthy of redemption. And God shows that through the book of Hosea. If you've ever read the book of Hosea, you can go read that and you can see how Israel, the church, 
adulterated her stuff, prostituted herself over and over and over again. But Hosea went back and he loved her. So Hosea is a type of Christ, a representation of Christ. Um, and his wife, the prostitute that he, uh, you know, he fell in love with, she is a, a type of the church, a representation of the church. And it's like every time, man, that she forsook him, every time she went back on him, Hosea, Christ loved the church in spite of all of our imperfections. It does not relinquish us from the responsibility of rising to the occasion to be perfect as he's perfect. Like we, we at some point we have to realize the state uh, that we're in, the condition that we're in and go, hey, this isn't okay anymore. You know, we've learned from the error of our ways. And so Look at this. Love is the trademark. You've ever seen that little TM on different brands that you buy? That means that's a registered trademark, and it's what that brand owns as their identity. And love is the trademark for people who follow Christ. So Christians, Christ followers, believers, love is the trademark for a Christian. Now, I grew up, let me just stop real quick. I grew up in a church that it was not perfect. I'm so glad I was able to come to the Lord. They got a lot right. So, you know, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like our church had so many things wrong with it. It was religious. It was, uh, it was racist uh, to some degree. Uh, not everybody, but there were some in the church. There, there, were, there was uh, sexual sin in the church. I mean, if you just look at it, you would look at it and go, dude, what a mess. What a rank, raunchy, messed up mess. But out of that church came some beautiful uh, uh, ministries. There, there, out of that church came some beauty in ministry and love that came out of that church. And some great things came out of that church. And I came out of that church. And Shay came out of that church. And we got a lot of things wrong. But they got a lot of things right as well. And so when we look at the body of Christ and we look at, you know, the different things that have, we have wrong with the church and what happens is people will get uh, on this one tangent and they'll say, well, I got hurt at church. Well, guess what? I got hurt at church. Somebody that used to go to this church recently uh, shared with uh, my wife and uh, they posted something on Instagram or Facebook or something about like how they were manipulated uh, in this this church and how they were manipulated from Christian leadership. And I don't know if they were talking about me or other leaders, but that could possibly be true. I don't know the answer to that. But guess what? I, I get manipulated all the time by Christians, by people that come to this church that are constantly trying to manipulate me as a pastor. I don't go on Facebook and plaster it and go like those mean old church people, they're manipulating me. You know, but yeah, I have people all the time that come uh, to me with agendas. And I've had people to say, you know, um, the church hurt me and I was, I was this at the church and I was that at the church and I was all these kinds of things. And I'm like, well, you know what? The world's hurt me. Like I was molested by two different people on many occasions. Guess what? They weren't Christians. I've had people lie about me, steal from me. Guess what? They weren't Christians. So the church is not responsible for all hurt in the world. 
I've had people in church hurt me. I've hurt, had people in the world hurt me. I've had people that I work with hurt me. We don't stop going to work, do we? Like sometimes we can change jobs. We don't stop interacting with the world, do we? Well, some people do, but we don't. Why? Because we know the whole world is not at fault. You know, when you turn on the news and you look at these different things that are going on in our country, like hate, politics, this, that, the other, like the whole world's not that way. So we don't give up on the world. The world is just being the world. It's messed up. But we are called to have a different standard. And this is what John 13, 34 and 35 says. So now Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. He says, love each other, but not just any love. Love each other as I've loved you. So there's a difference. There's a delineation. And like the way you've been loving each other, that's fine. You know, that'll only take you so far. But I'm giving you a new commandment. Now I want you to love like I have loved you. You should love each other that way. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. In some versions of scriptures, you might have learned it differently like this. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Like that's how we know that we're Christians. Not, not if we have a little destiny decal on our shirt. Not if we have it on the back of our car. Not, not that kind of stuff. They know it by how we treat and how we love one another because love is our trademark. Look at 1 John 4, 7 and 8. We were talking about this before church this morning, me and a, a few friends. The scripture says, dear friends, Jesus is talking. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He says that we should love, and when we love, we truly are his children. And anybody that loves truly knows the heart of God. Like when you love, and again, you got to, what is love? What is love? What version of love? I don't have time to go into it today, but there are four Greek words in the New Testament that, that, uh, that they use for love. There's phileo, that's brotherly love. That's me and Harold love. I love you, brother. You're my bro, you know, like we tight. All right, that's brotherly love. I got that, but I don't love him like I love my son, you know. That's storge love. Storge is my family love. It's the love like you have between blood. And, you know, and then there's eros love. Like I can't love anybody in this church that way except my wife. That's a, that's a you know, birds and bees kind of love. That's, you know, that's male-female attraction love. But then there's agape love that is, it's just unconditional. And I love you and there are no requirements. There are no requirements like there are requirements on mine and Shay's love. You know, if you look at it, like she can't be unfaithful to me, I can't be unfaithful to her. They're parameters. But God's love, God loves sinners. God loves sinners as much as he loves me and you who are under the blood covenant. He doesn't go, well, I love you a little bit more, but them, you know. No, he loves them with the same love and affection that he loves us. 
They just haven't come into the fullness of the knowledge of what that love is all about. And so God is love. The scripture says it right there at the very end. For God is love. I want you to think about it. God is love. Not God is lovable. God has lovely characteristics. It says God is the substance of love. Like he is love. Like it's his nature is, his, is who he is. And we've already proven to you through the series that we just came from uh, out of Jesus' image that Jesus is God. So if, Jesus, uh, if God is love, then Jesus is love. Therefore, we're love. If we're made in his image, if we're his image bearers, if we're the reflectors of whatever he is, if God is love, Jesus is love, then we're love. You and I are supposed to be the image bearers of love. And I'm not talking about just any kind of love. I'm talking about that divine love, agape. If you don't know that word, you need to learn that word. Agape, it's the God love. It's the kind of love that when somebody screws you over, you still love them and you don't hold it against them. It's the kind of love that when somebody has abused you, you still love them. It's the kind of love that when somebody has slandered you, you still love them. It's the kind of love that when somebody's different from you, they have a different opinion than you, you still love them, and you don't hold it as like some, some kind of you know, thing against them. And I want you to look at this. The lo- love is the greatest commandment of the faith. Like, you know, when you start living a life of love, you don't have to worry about keeping the commandments. Because when you operate in love, you automatically keep the rest of the commandments. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 35, and 40. He says, an expert of the law came and tested him, Jesus, with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, he's talking about the Mosaic law. Which one of the Ten Commandments are the greatest? Because if it's the greatest, if it's the most important, don't you think we need to put more attention on that one? So that's kind of the mindset, the context he's coming to Jesus with. And this is what Jesus replied. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Don't miss that verse, that part of the verse. The second is like it. In other words, it's equal to it. Some versions of translation say the first, the second is equal to the first. So in other words, when you say one, you've basically encapsulated all of them. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and in in, in other versions. Places in scripture add strength there too. And then Jesus said, this is the first and important, most important commandment, but the second one is like it. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. So love your neighbor as yourself is equal to loving God. If you think about that, guys, it takes on this whole new idea of worship. Because the first one encapsulates this idea of worship. What's the most important commandment? To love God. 
What were we doing in here just a few minutes ago for about 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes, we were in here just loving God, just expressing our love for him. Now, I want you to understand what Jesus just said, hey, what y'all were doing up there, just loving the Lord. When you help somebody on the side of the road with their broke down car, or you buy meal for someone who is homeless, it's like doing this. It brings as much pleasure and as much enjoyment and it's as sweet a smelling fragrant and sacrifice as if we were in church just singing love songs to him. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like everything that you would ever need to know in the law and the prophets, everything in this hangs on those two, really one commandment to love your neighbor. And so when we start thinking about that, like church, when we start thinking about how we love people, it completely changes everything because it affects everything that we do. Honestly, it affects every Facebook post that you po uh, start to post. It affects your interactions with the jerk at work who, you know, get, they get on your last nerve. They talk about everybody in the place. It affects how you interact with that person. It affects how you interact. Uh, 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 interact with the estranged family member. It, is, it, it affects every relationship and every action that you and I uh, carry out in our lives. When we are thinking about this, like, wow, everything that I do flows out of this response of love. You know, last year, our, our thing was, I will constantly guard my heart. I'll constantly guard my heart and align it with God's word because everything I flow, do flows out of it. Well, the word is the logos is Jesus and Jesus is love. Are you following me? Like it just all goes back to love. And so it's the greatest and the most important commandment. It's more important than how many times you come to church out of the year. It's more important than you bringing your tithe to the house of God. It's more important than a serving anywhere. It's more important than anything you do in your faith is how well do I love my neighbor? And so when I think about this verse of scripture, it raises two questions for me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, what's love? And number two, who's my neighbor? That's, that's what it evokes from me. What is love? Because I'm telling you, you can ask pe different people like, what is love? And, you know, there's, uh, I can't remember, Smalley, Gary Smalley, maybe. Uh, but he wrote the love languages. I don't know if that's the right Smalley, but Chapman. There you go. Um, he wrote the five love languages. And there's, uh, you know, there's these five different love languages. So he, you know, quantifies them, categorizes them. And I've read the book. I believe uh, that, you know, it's a very good book. And, you know, so a lot of people would say, you know, they're expressing their love for you, but you're not receiving it because that's not the way you receive love. Like one of my ways to express my love is serving people. I love doing stuff for people. But a lot of people, quality time. They just want you to spend time. You ain't got to do nothing for me. Just come hang out with me. 
Well, that's not necessarily one of mine. And so, you know, you've got to be speaking the same love language. And God's love language is truly all of those. But God's love language, it truly is showing love to others. When you start looking at Jesus, he is one of the least uh, selfish people. He is so selfless. Whenever people try to give him worship, he deflects it and gives it to the Father. When they try to give him accolades, he deflects it and gives it to the Father. When, when they try to, to, to uh, call him truthful, he's like, hey, listen, there's not, not true but one. You know, like, what does he mean by that? He's, he's saying, let's, let's give it to the Father. Really, he's like, because if you give it to the Father, you're giving it to me. When they come to serve him, he's like, hey, let's serve these. Because when you serve them, you're serving me. So who, what, what is love? What is love? And this, you got to go to scripture to find out what love is. Because you can ask people, they'll have different answers. You can look at the world and what their idea of love is. And their idea of love is messed up, dude. Like it's pornographic. It's perverted. It's messed up. And there's even this um, shirt that I saw uh, recently and it said something like love is love or have y'all seen anything like that? Like love is love. No, it's not. And that's the world's version of love. Like if I have certain feelings towards you, then, then hey, it's love. And who are you to tell me who I can love, how I can love or what I can love? Well, we can because there's, one who is love, God is love. There is one who is love and one who is love can tell us what love is supposed to look like because he's the creator who is the substance of love. And so he has the ability to tell us what love truly is. He truly defines love and he truly knows the difference between love and lust. He knows the difference between uh, love and lust, what the world's perversion of, of that looks like. And I'm just here to tell you that love is not love. Love is not always love. Like you can't just say, I love something and call it godly love. You can call it perverted love. You can call it whatever you want to, but you can't call it within the confines of this. But that's the world's version of love. And here's where we come into uh, like the juxtaposition where we're rubbing across the grain, so to speak. Are you with me? When we in the world try to adopt instead of define the world's terms. You following me? Like when we begin to adopt the world's standard of love. When we begin to accept the world's view of love, that's where the church goes wrong. Everything, I will constantly guard my heart. Listen, if you're in that place and you've gotten to that place, and it's sad to say that there are people that are in the church. There are probably people sitting in here in this church, in this room today, that you have adopted the world's view instead of shaping your view by the scripture. I will constantly guard my heart. Can I just say to you, friend, you probably need to go back and see, did you guard your heart? 
Have you aligned your heart with the word of God? Because if you haven't, you may find yourself aligning with a version that the world has of what love is. And listen, with, you know, there are young ears in here, so I have to be careful when I talk about some of the worldly stuff. But listen, there are things like that are out in the world that it's like now they're trying to justify all the way down to animals. But when you use the world's version of love, that love is love, it leads to that path. When you begin, and what will happen is you will begin to find yourself that you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot and now you're trying to backtrack and say, oh, 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 but not this, not that. And it's like, no, there is a standard of love. God is love. God created love. Man gets in and messes it up. But there's a standard of love. This is our standard of love. When you deviate from the, the holy standard, you will end up going down this route. And listen, can I just get off on a soapbox for a second? Just say yes. All right, because it was going to come. All right, so I'm dragging my soapbox out right quick. All right. What will happen is when you adopt the world's standard, you either have to live by that standard and you start living by that standard and you, you haven't thought it out to the end. See, Jesus is the alpha and omega. He's the beginner, uh, beginning and the end. He's the finisher. So he's already knows this thing to, to what the end looks like. But you'll get out there and, and, and you'll, well, you got people out there that are like, you know, women's lib. I'm, hey, I'm all for women's lib. I'm all for, for women and, you know, blah, 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 and all that. I, I get all that. And then now, now we want women to be equal. Can I just tell you this? This is one of those things, good God, if CNN ever gets a hold of this. Um, women are not equal to men. It's not a slam. I don't know about you, but I love smooching on my wife because she's smoochy and lovable and she doesn't have whiskers on her face. I have literally said to my wife at times, like, I don't see what y'all see in men. They're just nasty. You know, they stink. You know, they're just, ugh. But I love her. And, you know, I, I, there's a difference. There's a difference between man and woman. Women are not as strong as men, generally speaking. Now, I, raised with some good old Amazonian Mississippi girls. They whoop your tail. I was scared of them. Shoot, my sister was one of them. I'm like, she fought some of my, lots of my battles for me. I'm like, y'all, y'all, y'all want to fight my sister? You know, I ain't lying. But women are not, they're not as strong as men. Women are different. We complement each other. Women are smarter than men. I'm just telling you that women are smarter than men. Just say it. Let's give it up. So, but they complement us. They complement us. And when we get into this thing of like, 
you know, the, the world and their standards, what will happen is they'll pick a standard they won't think this through and it's not in alignment with God's word. And so what'll happen is they'll be, they'll just be going down that road of, you know, we're equal and we're this and we're that. And then you get into the, well, you know, um, I, I am who, who I want to be and I'll define who I am in my own existence and I can change my sex if I want to. And, you know, now all of a sudden the women's lib are, are, are now caught in this thing with like the athletes who are really men who just changed their sex and now they're men in women's skin and now they cannot win and now the women, y'all bear with me, we can't win, we can't win. Yeah, you can't because you're competing against a man in women's skin. You can't, but guess what? You adopted a perversion of God's law. And now you have to live by the law that you perverted. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. That's why the scripture tells us what love is. I don't get to define love. You don't get to define love. The world doesn't get to define love. The scripture is who gets to define love. God gets to define love. And he does. He does for us. And, and I want you to look, look at what it is. So look at love. 1 Corinthians 13. I know that many of you know this by heart. Don't turn me off in your brain mentally. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, and this is love. So God is describing what love is. And he said, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. Love is never boastful. It's not prideful. Love is not dishonoring. Love is not self-serving or self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is, does not delight in evil. It rejoices in truth. Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, and love never fails. So, am I a loving person? Because if I'm a loving person, I'm that. And when I look at that list, I don't know how you look at that list, but when I look at that list, I go down and I go, all right, let's just take the test, okay? Let's just take the love test. Am I patient? I think I am. Am I kind? Relatively. I, 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 I mean, I, I'm, I'm a kind person. There are times that I don't do some kind things. They're mainly towards my family. It's easier to get away with that stuff in private, isn't it? Yeah. You don't be acting like that in public, right? So, but I'm, I'm going to give myself a pass on that because I'm more kind than I'm not kind. I'm not envious. Mm. Uh-uh, I struggle with that one. What are you envious of, Pastor Rife? I compare myself to other pastors. I hate that about myself. I hate it about myself. I don't like that. 
I'm not boastful. I, I, I'm not a boastful person. Sometimes I come off a little bit, you know, like uh, that maybe up here, but you know it's always in jest. I'm really not a boastful person. I'm not prideful, um, not dishonoring, not self-seeking. Keeps no record of wrongs. I struggle with that one. I know it's wrong, but I struggle with it. I don't delight in evil things. Like, I just don't like debauchery and stuff like that. I, don't, I, I do rejoice in truth. I feel like I try to protect. Um, I struggle with trust. I hate that I struggle with it. But I do. You know why? Because I've been hurt. I've been let down. I've been abused. I've been, like, both physically, I've been abused uh, verbally, I've been abused by people in church. I've been people abused when that is, I know this, that is not my heart. My heart is not to do the things that people have done to me. My heart is to love people, serve people, just, you know, help you. Yeah. And when, when, you know, you've made yourself vulnerable and then they turn around and they abuse you, use you, let you down. It's like, oh, man, sometimes it's hard for me to trust. But I know I have to trust. Because, why? Because it's part of love. I know I can't keep records of wrongs because the Lord, if he forgave me of all of my junk, I have to forgive people. Whether they ask for it or not, I have to forgive them. I know I can't be envious because I know that God calls some people to do certain things and others to do others. I know that he gave one one talent and one three talents and one five talents. And I, none of those people got a choice in how many talents. They, di they didn't go, ooh, ooh, ooh can, I, can I get five? Can I? I can handle it. They didn't. And so... I have to be okay with God. And if I'm just honest with you, I, there are times I'm not okay with what God has given me. Ah, I know that's shallow. I know, I know, I know it is. But there are times I'm not satisfied with what God gave me. And I have to repent and ask the Lord to forgive me, God, and help me be faithful with what you gave me what you entrusted me with. So when I look at, you know, how well I love, I'm just trying to give you just a little peek into the rife love test. When I look at love, I go, God, I, I do love, but I also know that there are some areas in my life of weakness that I constantly have to keep guard over so that I can make sure that I can keep my love on. So when he says love is the most important commandment, when he says that love is what we should be doing as to others, our neighbors, like we would do to ourselves, that answers the two, one of the two questions. What is love? And then the second one is, who's my neighbor? Like, who is my neighbor? And if you look at Luke chapter 10, I want us to read through that real quick. I'm going to go about 15 more minutes for us, if you can just bear with me. Luke chapter 10, and Jesus is reading uh, or is sharing a parable about the Good Samaritan. All right? So there's going to be uh, three people in this story, four really. Uh, and when he says 
the Jewish person or the priest. You're talking about somebody who should know the ways of love better than anybody else. When he talks about the assistant in the church, the Levite, you're talking about somebody who's been around church their whole life. They're dedicated to working and serving in the church. They should know more than anybody. The person who was injured was a Jew, so they were like the creme de la creme. They were like the upper echelon of Israel society. And then you have the Samaritan, which they actually disliked those people so much. There was some racism going on there. They disliked those people so much, they actually referred to them as dogs, considered them as like, you're, you're really at, the, at a, the level of a dog. Now, in today's society, that might be an actual good thing because people treat their pets with such high esteem, you know. It's like, you know, we got a grand pup and, you know, all these different things. But it wasn't a good thing in that day. And so in verse 30, Jesus uh, is replying to the guy who's asking the same question I'm asking. If you'll bump up to verse 29, the, the man asked, he said, you know, I, he wanted to justify his actions, so he said, well, who's my neighbor? Like, he wants to, he wants to qualify. Like, okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who, who is that? What all does it encompass? And Jesus said, all right, I'm going to tell you, you a story. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, and they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him up. And they left him for uh, half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. Verse 32 says, a temple assistant, a Levite, walked over, looked at the guy laying there, and he also passed by. This joker's worse than the first one. Like he literally goes over, looks at him and goes, I don't know about that one. He ain't gonna make it. So, then verse 33 says, and then a despised Samaritan. In other words, this is the one that, you know, I don't want you to touch me. Don't even breathe in my space, you know. He came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. Who does that sound like? Because Jesus, whenever he saw the masses, the crowds, the scripture said he looked on them and had compassion. So now in this scenario, we see the first person who comes along that actually looks like they're reflecting Jesus. He had compassion for him. And going over the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil. Olive oil represents what? Holy Spirit anointing. So he's operating not in the flesh, but he's operating in the spirit. All right? So, and uh, he... he Soothed his wounds with oil and wine, also indicator of Holy Spirit. God spoke uh, earlier through Alan about wine. And he bandaged them. And then he put the man on its donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. In verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now you go and you do the same. All right, 
So who was the neighbor of the man who got attacked, the Jewish man that got attacked? The one who was the least like him, but the one who was the most like Christ. I'm going to say it again because that's very deep and you need to get it in your spirit. So who was his neighbor? It was the one it was, it was the one who was the most like Christ. And it was the one least like who he was. The ones who were most like him didn't even care enough to do anything. But here Jesus says, now I want you to go do what that man did. Go and do that. Go love like that. So who is my neighbor? Jesus said to love people who are like us. These are people, people who are like us. Look at this. People who are like us are my family. They're my friends. They're people who are my same ethnicity, my same culture, my same faith. It's easy to love people who are like us. Not always, but it's easier to love people who are like us. When you're in a foreign country, there's nothing like you being by yourself in a group of foreigners and all of a sudden you see somebody and you know they're an American. You, you know, you can't necessarily tell by their color, by, their, by the color of their skin, but if you hear them talking and oh, if it's just English, you know, and the thing is, is that sometimes they're not even from your country, but you can tell, oh, they're close enough. They speak English, you know. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, a peace will come over you. Because it's like, there's somebody like me here. And so you gravitate towards those people, especially if you're having some kind of trouble at the airport or whatnot. But Jesus said that we're supposed to love people like ourselves. But he also said this. He said we're supposed to love people who are not like us. We're supposed to love people who are of different ethnicities. We're supposed to love people with different cultures. We're supposed to love people who have different faiths and value systems. Like I saw on Facebook, uh, you know, this has been quite a while back. And I saw a person who calls themselves a minister and uh, and I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm saying they call themselves a minister. I, I'm not saying they're not. I'm saying they call themselves a minister. Are you with me? But then I also see on there this political statement that says something about the ragheads. Um, well, that's a derogatory statement about Muslims. And, um, and so, like, that is, that is a, that's an ornament of their faith. That's an ornament of their culture. Like, we don't, do that. Why? Because we don't attack people like because of their faith and their beliefs. We can disagree with it. We cannot like it, but you know, we don't, we, that's, that's just like, you know, we wouldn't say something about somebody Jewish who has a yarmulke on their, you know, the little beanie things on their head. Like we don't, we don't do those things. Why? Because they're, they're, they're dishonoring. And if a few minutes ago on the screen, it says that love is honoring. Love is not dishonoring. And we love people who are not like us. Like 
that are different faiths even than we are. It doesn't mean that I ascribe to your faith. It doesn't even mean that we have to get into faith. But we, we can love each other because love is not reduced to an emotion. Stay with me. Most of the time, we feel like we can't love those people because some of the things they do evoke such strong emotions in us that we don't like. Dude, I'm just telling you, can you imagine Jesus looking at his beautiful creation and going, I can't love you because of how that makes me feel. I'm telling you what, anybody on the face of the planet that has children, you understand love. Because you'll look at them and you'll go, I don't know who you are. <laughs> I, I, I don't love you because you did that. No, you love them. It's a love that will never go away. It's a love that if they spent the rest of their life in a penitentiary, you would still love them. Because love is not merely reduced to an emotion. It's a commitment. Yeah. It's a commitment. And it's a characteristic of who we are in Christ. So we love people who are not like us. And it's okay if they're not like us. They're, they're, there's so much in the body of Christ that we've chosen not to show love because people dislike us. And then here's our are not like us. But here's the last one. People we don't like. Jesus said, you're supposed to love people you don't like. You got anybody you don't like? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, he's just flat out honest with it. I'm telling you, man, there's some folks I don't like. I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't like the stuff that they do post, how they vote, how they, you know, their arrogant views. And they probably look back at me and say the same thing. But we're supposed to love people we don't like. Just because somebody voted different from you doesn't mean that they're your enemy. Jesus said that we're supposed to love people we don't like. Who are people we don't like? Enemies. People who live in opposition to us. Like, just because you don't like somebody, just because, you know, that you don't like their lifestyle or what they do or their beliefs does not exempt us from loving them. Like, we got to love people. And Jesus, he says this. I, I, I want to read it to you, okay? Um, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. At the very end, he's wrapping up almost to the end of it. Well, he's teaching on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor. All right? So he's responding to everything I've just been teaching you. He's like, well, you heard Pastor Rife teach on that. But he said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which I didn't say that. That's old covenant stuff. But he says, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he, God, gives sunlight on both the evil and the good. Hmm. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. Why? Why? I'm just asking you. Why? Why does God let good things happen to bad people? Why does he let the sun shine and the good blessings come? Why? Because he loves them. They are his children that have not found their way back to him. And God, in his long suffering, he truly wants to give them every available moment to come back to the realization of who they are in him. He is not treating his children unfairly even when they are not living in right relationship with him. And he says this, he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? He's like, even tax collectors do that much. If you're kind to only your friends, how different are you from anybody else? He says, even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as I am perfect. What he's saying is like, hey, we're called to do more than just love people that are lovable. We are called to love unlovable people. And he says, I want you to love people who are like you. I want, to pe- I want you to love people who are not like you. And then I want you to love people that you don't like. Like you don't like their lifestyle. You don't like their mindset. You don't like different ways that they do things. He's like, I want you to love those. Your enemies include those. Like, I don't know if you've ever had any enemies. Like, you know, Mabel at the water fountain at work who talks about you to her friends, she's not your enemy. You know, I mean, she's slandering you. She's, you know, she, she's probably not your friend either. But, I'm, but an enemy is somebody who is looking for your destruction. And they are taking an active role in slandering you. They are taking an active role in doing everything they can do to work against you. They are working completely in opposition to you. That is your enemy. And the Lord says, love those people. Love those people. You may not like them. How do I reconcile, Pastor Rife, people, loving people that I do not like? This is how you can reconcile it. Like is based upon personal preference and emotions. Love is based upon the character of God. And look at how God sees them. There's never a person that you're going to look at that Jesus doesn't look at them as a son or daughter. And so that person that hates you, that person that's just, just try to change your perspective of this is one of my brothers and sisters. It would be like one of your own blood relatives that is living in opposition to your family and not just opposition. One of your own blood relatives has actually sought to become your enemy and destroy you. 
but there's this thing called blood that cannot separate, you can't separate that. As much as you don't like them, much as they might be your enemy, there is something that, that will connect you forever. And you cannot separate yourself from that person, even though behavior and all of that, but there's something that will always connect you. I want you to look at it in that sense. There is something that will always connect you and your enemy, me and my enemy. And that is we are both children of God. I happen to be walking under covenant with the Lord. They may, are probably not, but, but may be under this distorted, they may call themselves a Christian, but their behavior doesn't match up to the love characteristics that I listed there earlier. Listen, just let God deal with that. Just let God deal with that. But you love. So here's what I want you to do. This is how we're going to activate and apply our message today. Let's activate it by doing this. So when you leave today, I want you to choose one way that you can reflect Jesus' love this week. To a family member, maybe a friend, to a stranger, and to an enemy. I'm asking you to do this because I don't want you to just hear the word and then go away and don't do anything with it. You won't grow if you don't do anything with it. You have to take what you learned today and you have to go out there and you have to put it into practice. So how can I do this? You choose one thing. I could give you lots of ways, but you're creative. You can come up with your own ways of what you can do. In our rally this morning, um, one of our volunteers, John, he started us off with this scripture that said this, but God showed his love, showed his love, demonstrated his love, proved his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, he died on a cross for us. That's how he proved it. When, while we were still sinners, when, while we were his enemy, when, while we were far from him, when, when we didn't look anything like him, when, when we didn't look like any part of his reflection, he showed himself, demonstrated it. There was proof in it. And so if he gave proof, then what do we do? We give proof. How do you do it? You got to show it. You can't just think it, God, I love him. I forgive him. No, you got to show it. So figure out a way that you want to show it. And then I want to activate it in you right now. Why don't you stand with me? I want to activate this in you right now. And the greatest thing that you can do, the scripture says this, greater love knows no man than this, that he would lay down his life for another. Now, most of the time we take that, and I'm not trying to twist scripture here. Most of the time we take that and go, well, you know, I'd take a bullet for you. I'd die for you, you know. Um, that's, that's to the nth degree. That's, like, that's, that's way down here. But greater love knows no man than this, that a man will just lay down your life. In other words, put yourself... 
out of the picture. Not what you want. Sacrifice yourself. Greater love has no man than that. Just sacrifice yourself. But you don't know what they did. Sacrifice it, man. But you don't know what they said. Sacrifice it. You don't know what they're still doing. Sacrifice it. Lay down your feelings. Lay down your anger. Lay down your animosity. Lay down all of that and just say, I'm going to love because God says love. And somewhere in the middle of that, guys, somewhere in the middle of that, I promise you, your heart will start to change and that stuff will not even affect you. But right now it's captivating your attention. So why don't you take what's captivating your attention and take it captive? Submit it to him.